damn, you startled me. Jeez, what's wrong with you? You look like you just saw a ghost. There's something out there watching me. Didn't you hear it? Watching you? No, I didn't hear anything. Making weird animal growls or something. There's a million animals out here. You probably just startled one. Nah, nah, this didn't sound like any animal I ever heard. It sounded unearthly. You wouldn't know the difference between a brown bear and a hoot owl if it bit you on the ass. And now you're expecting me to believe you're hearing strange animal sounds and they're watching you? Come on. Boo! Wait, is, is, shit, was that where I was supposed to come in? Fuck! <laughs> Damn it! Oh, shit! shit. Boo! It's John... <laughs> it's John Brennan! Oh, shit! Damn it! Boo! Boo! I'm sorry. I, I'm not very good with cues. I, 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 sometimes I uh, space out. I, it was such great performances. I was captivated by what you guys were doing. No, that was perfect. That was uh, the perfect jump scare. Yeah, that was great. Welcome, everybody, to another episode of Watch If You Dare, a horror movie podcast hosted by me, your movie monster boy, Aaron, and my cowardly co-host, Derek, in which we dissect the fears, phobias, and social relevancy of horror movies across all ages and subgenres and micro-genres, as well as discuss just how scary they are for horror newbies and horror junkies alike. And we have a super special episode. This is going to be a fun conversation. We are veering into uncharted waters for our show so far. We're going to be covering Covering a SOV title, Theaters. For that discussion, we've got on extra special guest, John Brennan. What's up? What's up, guys? Thanks so much for having me. This is amazing. Well, thank you for doing our mini-sode interview with Aaron. And thank you again for coming on for a full episode, because you're kind of like the perfect guest to discuss this very niche subgenre of horror that I knew nothing about until until Aaron brought it up to me. It's a whole other universe. When we were talking in a little DM saying maybe we could do a full episode at some point, I suggested a few things, and feeders seemed to be the one that was accepted. So uh, this is very uh, excellent to me. I I wanted a couple of others, but I'll mention other ones that I would love to uh, have talked about. But this one's good because it can branch off into so many different subjects about the genre. Yeah. Despite this not being the most well-known or the first or the most successful or any of those top category things for this subgenre, this was a good one to have a very broad introduction to this subgenre and then And in the future, I could definitely see us doing some more stuff from here because I discovered some wild shit. Dipping my toes back into this, I discovered some wild shit in the last 24 hours. One thing is it it was very successful, though, because it was the largest independent rental at Blockbuster in 1996. Absolutely. (laughs) <laughs> That's pretty good. <laughs> pretty good year for SOV. Well, awesome. Yeah. And then uh, for any of our listeners who didn't listen to the mini-sode, go back and listen to it. Hell yeah. It's a great interview. But John Brennan, he is of trauma fame, and you provide the music for Joe Bob Briggs. So thank you so much for coming on to our show again. And ironically enough, this is the third time this has happened. We have a guest. Either we record right after or like our episode drops right after. They appear on last podcast on the left. Oh. Yeah, you 
you're like the third guest that was just recently featured on one of their episodes. Yeah. And it always makes me feel humbled when you come on to our show because we're amateur hour and they're very professional. But I do have to brag. Fuck you, Henry. And fuck you, Ben. We got John Brennan <laughs> interview out there before they did. No, I'm kidding. We we, we love you guys. But uh, John, thank you for coming on Absolutely. to this yeah, of amateur hour. It's not. No, no. Don't think that way because you know what? In three years, you never know what you might be. You might be all over the goddamn mm-hmm. world. And so why not? Hopefully. That's definitely a good Hopefully. trajectory. So yeah, we'll yeah. keep our eyes on the prize like the Polonia brothers for sure. <laughs> we will achieve fame one of these days. <laughs> Awesome. Well, like always, before we start talking about the movie, let's discuss any horror recommendations we might have that we've discovered recently, whether it's other movies, TV shows, books, music, comics, video games, just whatever. And like always, we start with our guests. John, do you happen to have any horror that you've indulged in recently that you want to talk about? So it's so interesting because last time that we did the mini-sode, I had just done a double feature of Us and Get Out for no reason other than just showing my girlfriend girlfriend uh the two movies because she hadn't seen them this time we had another movie night and i showed her two movies the changeling with george c scott oh yeah one of the best ghost movies ever made and then i coupled that with a double feature of hardcore starring george c scott (laughs) written and directed by paul schrader the guy who did taxi driver great double feature yeah turn it (laughs) off he's just like "Ah, turn it (laughs) off You know, yeah. Uh, my girlfriend said that Hardcore was her favorite movie she's watched this year, which makes me very happy and proud. Wild. Because in the first 10 minutes, she's like, what is this movie about? And I'm like, oh, just wait until you see what this damn movie's about. Yeah. So that was my uh, recent uh, discovery. Double feature, Changeling and Hardcore starring George C. Scott. Hell yeah. We covered uh, the Changeling with the great Shelby Scott of Scare You to Sleep podcast. And that movie was a phenomenal ghost story yeah. movie in general i hadn't seen it previously before we watched it and like covered it on the show and that movie has a lot more going on with it than i i was anticipating yeah it was it was a blast i first saw it when i was a child me and my uh brother and my cousin were into horror we were like eight i was like 10 or 11 and we rented it because of the box just looked creepy and it's a testament to that movie that there's not a lot that happens but we were so captivated and freaked out i mean the seance scene is one of the tops of all time the mystery of what the ghost wants and why it's doing what it's doing is so awesome so yeah and and uh just the disclaimer it's not the fucking changeling from the 2000s with uh angelina jolie and directed by clint eastwood <laughs> totally different changeling not as good i'm sorry they disgraced george c scott yeah, <laughs> definitely not the same movie hardcore is super interesting and i think the older i'm getting and the more schrader stuff i'm going back to that i just didn't realize was his yeah the greater appreciation i have for his work despite him just being an insane person <laughs> i saw mishima maybe a year ago hell yeah i saw it like when i was in high school and just what is this okay i'm not sure because i didn't know any of the context of it i didn't know what the structure of this movie was going to be yeah going back and watching it a year ago that movie cracked my fucking head open in such an insane way <laughs> hell yeah i don't know man just in even stuff like blue collar not at all horror blue collar is awesome fucking awesome the, what's the light sleeper watched that very recently light sleepers great i had yeah. never seen it it was on the criterion channel comfort of strangers is good yeah, there's yeah. All oh man he shit. keeps going and then even the card counter yeah. which wasn't one of his best it just came out a, a year ago it, it was still really great 
great. So yeah. the guy is one of those people who I hope that I keep discovering more of his movies that I'm like, oh shit, I didn't see that one. I didn't see that one. I, you know, I even watched the Canyons, the one that he did with Lindsay Lohan. <laughs> oh god, kind of entertaining. You know? I hadn't seen that one. I'll have <laughs> yeah. to add that to the list just for completion's sake. Yup, exactly. Hell yeah. Before he even directed, didn't he kind of break out with being one of the writers on Taxi Driver or the writer on Taxi Driver? He was the yeah. writer of Taxi Driver, and and then of course he he did uh, the screenplay for Raging Bull, and the, the guy's just yep. like one of those people you keep discovering his talents, and he just it's just almost endless. So yeah, first reformed from a couple of years ago with Ethan Hawke is. First reform, like, great, so much good stuff. Yeah, the movie of his that I'm curious about, and I, I do kind of want us to like cover it on our podcast is Cat People. Yeah, we'll do that. That has oddly come up a couple times on our show. Highly entertaining. That'll give me a good opportunity to talk about the original movie. Yes, that, and I still think it will be interesting. I mean, this is shop talk, I guess, but it will be interesting to do once we've done The Exorcist. And maybe after we've done The Exorcist three, do the weird bullshit double feature of. Dominion and then the other one. The beginning (laughs) and Exorcist Dominion. Both weird versions of that movie and how that got flipped over. That came out the same year. Yeah. Yeah. So weird. Yeah, because one of those was the Paul Schrader version. So very curious about that. Rennie Harlan was the other one, director of Die Hard 2. Yep. (laughs) And I can't remember which yep. one of those I've actually seen. So it's going to be interesting going back and watching both in quick succession. Yeah, I watched the the other one, not the Paul Schrader one. From what I understand, it, it, my comparison isn't as good. So Yeah, they're very different. And I can kind of attest to that, but very different. Yeah. Cool. Well, Derek, what have you got for us? Uh, so I just got two comics to start off with. Both comics, oddly enough, have to deal with dreaming, specifically nightmares. Okay. Let's start with the first one. It is based off Neil Gaiman's Sandman. It is a Sandman universe spinoff title. So kind of unfortunately, like you kind of had to have read <laughs> all 80 issues, of all Sandman. of Sandman. Yeah. yeah. To like really get a feel of like what this character is and like what the rules of this world are, etc. And granted, Sandman itself is a horror recommendation because there's there's a lot of horrific shit that happens in that series, specifically around around a character called the Corinthian. So this comic specifically is called Sandman Universe Nightmare Country, and the main character is the Corinthian. I'm going to be open with spoilers from what happened in the Sandman comics. I mean, they're fucking like started back in the 80s and 90s. (laughs) Yeah, they're almost 40 years old. They've been out forever. The show is a big hit right now. Yeah, the show is a big hit right now. Like just FYI, I'm going to just openly talk spoilers. For those of you who don't know, the Corinthian is... Lord Dream is like ultimate nightmare. It's this guy who has slicked black blonde hair and he always wears sunglasses. But when he takes his sunglasses off, instead of eyes, his two eyes are also mouths of teeth. In the Sandman series, he escaped the dreaming world and into the real world. And this happens in the beginning of the Sandman comic, but something happens with Dream where he gets trapped for several years. And so since there's no Lord of the Dreams, this guy can just kind of go around the world and he basically becomes a serial killer. He kills people across the country and he's known for taking their eyes out. And at the same time, he's like subtly influencing other people to be serial killers. In the comic, it's kind of implied that he's partially responsible for or like the serial killer rise through the 60s and 70s, sure. especially. So is this comic filling in all that backstory? No, no, this comic is a sequel. Yeah, okay. yeah. So this comic takes place after all of Sandman. Morpheus, at the end of Sandman, is no longer the Lord of Dreams. I'm not going to say exactly what happens, because that is a major spoiler. But the new Lord of Dreams basically recreates him, and he seems to have calmed down. He, he's still like this ferocious nightmare, and he's like the same entity, but different. It's high concept weird 
weirdness. And he still is escaping into the real world, but he's not necessarily like doing it to kill people. He's doing it out of curiosity. But then what this comic deals with is someone starts remembering him in their dreams and starts painting them. And at the same time, this person, uh, along with other people, are being targeted by these demonic entities called Mr. Ecstasy and Mr. Agony. Mm -hmm. And they're like these two guys in suits. One wears like a gimp mask and has no eyes. And the other has hooks that are like all around his eyes and his mouth that are pulled back as far as possible. It's kind of Cenobite-ish, yeah. Cenobite-ish, yeah. And they're hunting down people like brutally murdering them. They're obviously entities of another plane as well. You're not quite sure what their purpose is and why they're doing this. At the same time, when the artist that is targeted by them, she's hallucinating this creature that's like this big, fat, amorphous blob-looking creature that, like the Corinthian, has two mouths for eyes, but the mouths are like long tongues coming out of them. The comic has had five issues out now, and it hasn't quite opened up to all of this yet, but the premise of it is promising that it's going to be kind of like this journey across America and the idea of nightmares and sure. how they've blended into our society like now. Like Apparently, there's going to be an arc that involves white supremacist militia camps and another like with galleries that are specializing in horror art, and like there's a bit of true crime thrown in there. Just kind of all the stuff that's in front of our brains in the zeitgeist of America right now. Like the fucking first issue cover shows the Corinthian pulling his sunglasses back and you see one of his eye mouths. Eye mouths. But he's wearing an American flag mask like it's COVID basically. So it, this comic isn't hiding what it's trying to be. It's very open with political horror, but it's interesting that they decided to bring the Corinthian back and make him the main character because he was probably the most horrific part of the original Sandman run that Neil Gaiman did. So, I mean, if, if you haven't read Sandman, go read Sandman. It's fucking awesome. It sounds as convoluted as some of the movies that I've watched in the last two days. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And like, that is the thing. Like, if you are going to read any Sandman comics, you have need to have read the Sandman main series by Neil Gaiman first because you're not going to know what the fuck's going on. This one's a little more straightforward. This one is an actual standalone comic, but it is also dealing with the idea of nightmares and nightmares that become serial killers. This one's called Slumber. It's from Image Comics. It's written by Tyler Burton Smith and the artist is Vanessa Cardinale. Becky Cloonan does a lot of the cover artwork and Becky Cloonan is actually one of my personal favorite artists out there right now for comics. This deals with a woman who is basically a dream detective. She has the power to basically enter people dreams and take care of their nightmares for them and what I mean by that is literally hunt them down and shoot the nightmares to death and so the sure. person doesn't have the nightmares anymore and so it's like these crazy dreamscapes and then this woman who's like I had enough of this shit carrying a shotgun and blasting away like a teddy bear that looks innocent but then turns into like a demon kind of thing it's a lot of fun but at the same time the first six issues is the first arc it's her past is catching up to her because this detective through his dreams is starting to to become possessed by this serial killer who is responsible for the death of her daughter. And so she has a revenge agenda as well, trying to hunt down the specific nightmare. It's fun. It's straightforward. It's nothing like too crazy. The thing that's kind of ironic to me, there was a very obscure game that never like really broke out. I think it didn't get very good reviews. That was basically this exact premise. It was called Dream Killer and it was put out by the same people who did the Painkiller games. And it was a first person shooter about a woman who entered people's dreams and like killed their nightmares. I'm not going to accuse anyone of ripping anyone off, but like it's very hard to find something original. It's an old idea. Yeah, it's a, it's an old I idea. I mean, even further back than that, immediately Nightmare on Elm Street 3. Dream Warrior. 
Warriors. Dream Warriors. Not a new concept, but always one that can be fun. I think it depends on the world that you build around it. Yeah, by the way, the writer for uh, Nightmare Country, the Sandman, spinoff is James Tinney in the fourth, who right up there with Colin Bunn is like writing all kinds of fucking horror comics yeah. lately. Yeah, so those are the two comics. And then speaking of comics and actually speaking of the Changeling, because we had her on, shout out to Shelby Scott. This will be weeks later, but she was given a cameo appearance in a Batman comic called <laughs> Batman One Bad Day, The Riddler, um, written by Tom King. Interesting. The artist is Eisner Award winning Mitch Garads, and he is actually a fan of Scary to Sleep. So he drew her in a panel right in front of Bruce Wayne, actually. So if you happen to check out this comic specifically, get it's Batman One Bad Day, The Riddler. Go check that out. So shout out to her. Last thing I'll bring up once again, what we do in the shadows is crushing it this season. I brought that up multiple times on our show. Just go watch the show. It's great. It's fucking hilarious. In the wedding episode, the Baron, who is a character who's been appearing since the first season, he gets restored back to like human looking vampire form. I had no fucking clue this entire time that was Doug Jones playing him. Yeah. And I feel like I need to shout out Doug Jones. This guy appears in so much shit that I don't realize it's him. <laughs> yeah. From FX shows to, uh, you know, Academy Award winning movies. There you go. He was Abe Sapien in the good Hellboy movies. Crimson Peak. He was in Pan's Labyrinth. Wasn't he the eyeball monster in Pan's Labyrinth? Yeah. He's regular in all the Del Toro stuff. It's crazy the amount of horror creature portrayals he does. And he is all about dressing himself up he does not give a shit he is all about the craft and he just is one of those people that has that look that feels like otherworldly it doesn't feel like quite human as it is he just ha- has a very distinct look I feel like and so I just kind of had to bring him up just peruse his filmography check out some of the films he's in he's in a lot of good shit a lot of good horror related shit too yeah absolutely and uh you know one of these days we're gonna get him on one of these days that was the plan I fucking a while wish. back and yeah. uh yeah let's just say something happened covid but either way by the way like this year he's gonna be back as billy butcherson in hocus pocus too yep i keep fucking forgetting he was also in hocus pocus that's ridiculous everything he's been in yep yep cool well uh I've only got really one thing to talk about real quick, and it's actually going to kind of tie perfectly into uh, the topic and the movie that we're discussing. So I dug into some of the Amityville sequels, (laughs) specifically the four made-for-TV and direct-to-video ones that involve cursed objects. So there was a weird span where it was like, okay, cool. We can't keep just doing the house is haunted. So how about all the shit from the house ends up in other people's houses? Oh, so you did like Amityville dollhouse and all that stuff. Yeah. Yeah. The stuff I remember seeing in Blockbuster. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And all the titles for these are wild just because the structure of them makes no sense. There's no consistency. And these are all on Shudder, by the way. You can watch all these right now. They are available physically by Vinegar Syndrome. But you can check all these out on Shutter. Cool, cool. So Amityville Horror: colon, The Evil Escapes from 1989. <laughs> this one involves a haunted lamp. <laughs> one fucking grandma in New York, where the house was, right, finds this god awful lamp you would never put in your house. It looks like a haunted tree that's like five feet tall, 
skull and it has this big white orb on the top of it and then like two arms that stick out that have little candles it is the ugliest fucking lamp you would never put it in your house and this grandma was like yo my sister's a bitch I'm gonna send her this and prank her ass (laughs) like yes it's gonna cost more to ship it to her than it will cost to buy it but like fuck my sister that's exactly what she does it kind of looks like a shitty version of uh what the arm becomes in twin peaks the return a little bit yeah it (laughs) It looks like an evil version of the fucking uh candle guy from beating the beast yeah (laughs) this one grandma in new york sends it to her sister grandma in la then of course that grandmother's daughter and kids come to live with her because the dad dies tragically and so then of course the evil's in the house when i say the evil gets into the house like literally you see like a cartoon a bubble of evil demon traveling through the power cord and like into the wall and (laughs) everything starts to go crazy there's a scene with this kid fucking around with a chainsaw in the basement and the chainsaw goes haywire just so much insane shit in that one this one was a made for tv movie weirdly enough these other three were all direct to video so the next one is amityville 1992 colon it's about time guess what the object is with this one <laughs> oh god the fucking clock <laughs> this franchise is ridiculous oh it's, it's ridiculous it. in the best way yeah this is again the biggest ugliest cuckoo clock thing a guy who's an architect building suburb houses is like oh i found the perfect thing for our super modern california house this ugly old cuckoo clock thing that i'm gonna put in the middle of the living room they've got of course a metalhead son and he's seeing this woman who's not the kid's mom but she's kind of his hot friend person that they're like on off again whatever but she's also seeing this psychiatrist dude who is in full chris evans weirdo mode the entire time just over analyzing everything that's going on so it's this weird situation where the dad of these kids is sleeping with this younger woman they are not actually together though but then she is totally dating this other dude and the other dude comes to stay with them at the house weird shit the goth son is getting blamed for everything there is one of the worst rube goldberg deaths i've ever seen in my life involving an ice cream truck (laughs) this one was pretty wild there was also Amityville colon a new generation from 93 this one interestingly enough had the best cast it was still mostly people you've never seen in anything ever but then David Naughton from American World in London Richard Roundtree fucking Shaft and Terry O'Quinn from Lost were all in this one Whoa. Wally Feister shot this movie and he's the guy that did all of Nolan's early movies so he shot fucking Memento Insomnia The Prestige and Inception and the Batman movies. This was one of his early movies. This one is a cursed mirror that is covered in fucking gargoyles and demons all (laughs) over the frame. Again, another one of those perfect. This is no way cursed. Put it in the house. It'll be delightful. And of course, the like mirror witnessed the original murder from the original family. And now, you know, it's in the hands of this artist guy who lives in a loft in L.A. And all of his artist friends keep dying off in weird ways. Does someone make a bad luck quip about like a broken mirror at some point? That is, I think, literally the last line of the movie. Okay. Spoiler alert, they destroy the fucking mirror. (laughs) Terry O'Quinn just looks at the guy and is like, great job. Seven years bad luck. Good luck walking away from that. 
credits and just like the fuck (laughs) imagine if oculus ended that way yeah yeah (laughs) and uh and then the last one was amityville dollhouse from 96 this one was directed by steve white this is the one that sticks out in my memory as a kid going to blockbuster and like walking down the horror section yeah this one was directed by steve white who is the producer of all of these other movies this is like the only thing he's ever directed this is a family that moves into a new home and this is like they move into the model home from Arrested Development that's just in a fucking empty, dusty parking lot. They discover a dollhouse that is exactly identical to the DeFeo house, and of course, weird shit starts happening. There's a weird biker aunt and uncle who are into magic and mysticism and demonology that know exactly what's going on, so they come over and try to, like, expel the demons. Again, just lots of weird hijinks and bullshit ensue. So, where I say these tie in, what I just discovered was you know i knew okay i've seen the original amityville i've seen two that has all the weird incest shit in it and i saw the one with kim Coates, which i think is three or four i can't remember there's one (laughs) early one that also has meg ryan i think that's three maybe either way i just got on wikipedia and looked up amityville movies just to see what's out there oh yeah somewhere around maybe 2010 11 12 I think the fucking rights just evaporated. It seems like there was one last official movie that was made and distributed by the Weinstein Company. And then, of course, they like went under recently. But it looks like a few years before that, and this might be why that movie was delayed like five years. It seems like the rights just evaporated. Yeah, because from 2015 on, there's two or three Amityville movies that come out in the same Oh, no, there's there's more than that. I literally counted. There's over 50. Just this year, since the beginning of this fucking year, 2022, there have already been 12. Fucking Mark Pelosi which that's how this all ties in he has directed fucking four of them he directed (laughs) amityville death house amityville exorcism amityville island and amityville in space which came out this year he already put out nine movies in just this year one of which was an amityville movie like so the rights to the amityville has to just be like anything everything public domain from my reading about this because this actually is the personal connection that i have to the polonia whole thing is um i was gonna make amityville in space right oh shit nice yes so but then the weirdest thing is so we had concept art we wrote a story we had a treatment we had a script we went through this whole thing i registered it with the writers guild and then the day that we're having our first actual production phone call meeting the goddamn fucking trailer for polonium's amityville in space came out and i flipped out i was like how is this possible so no joke it was very uh it was very disheartening and i put out my uh concept art i put out my writers guild thing and i said don't ever tell anybody your ideas because this is what happens now do i think that it was stolen i don't think so i think it was probably a case of simultaneous creation it's not a hard idea sure to come up with in the amityville universe because what's the next logical step usually you get to space by part four this is part 57 <laughs> yeah. or whatever the hell yeah up to. 
So, um, you know, I wish them the best, obviously, but it really was disheartening. And I had to shift because I was going to be shooting it in July. Now I've written another script that I'm going to shoot instead. But when I was researching this, the reason why you're able to make any Amityville thing with the title Amityville is if you do not use certain elements of the book, the rights are sold. You can't remake the movie. So there are elements that you could get sued for if you're not careful. But if you say it's haunting in Amityville that doesn't have to do anything with the DeFeo's like a vibrator. Yes, Amityville vibrator. Yeah. So uh, whatever it is, as long as it takes place in the town of Amityville has a haunting and you're very careful, you can do it. But if you're doing the exact story that has to do with the DeFeo's and the murder and all the stuff, you can't do it. You'll get sued by whoever owns the rights at this point. That's wild. Okay. That, yeah. That's what I was wondering. Because was- Amityville's a real place. So if you say yeah. Amityville, uh, you know, fucking butthole, whatever the hell is going on <laughs> in Amityville in that butthole, it's not <laughs> copywritten. Yeah. Has a movie gone to hell yet? Amityville in hell or something like that? I think that they deal with the demons and stuff. And yeah. I haven't watched many of them. <laughs> There's got to be one where the whole house like gets sucked into hell and the family has to yeah, survive that, like in the house in hell. Great. That's that's what I'm thinking right now. Amityville yeah. Hell House, Hell Hole. Uh, I did <laughs> co-produce one back in the day for my friend Dylan Mars Greenberg, a great, great independent filmmaker, and was one of the first people that actually I knew that capitalized off of the Amityville title. It was called Amityville Vanishing Point. And instead of anything to do with goddamn Amityville, it was more like a Twin Peaks thing. It was like a David Lynchian <laughs> thing <laughs> set in Amityville. Yeah. Wild. Yeah. Very fun cost maybe like 500 bucks to make but uh they made it you said amityville vanishing point and my immediate thought was he's in a fucking haunted car car. he's got to drive from one side of the country to the other to amityville it would have been amazing they didn't have the budget for that (laughs) (laughs) there's a lot of potential with the amityville uh thing you could do so many things amityville submarine i mean jesus christ how good would that be oh there was amityville shark (laughs) amityville zombie amityville scarecrow like Amityville Thanksgiving. Yeah, there you Amityville go. Karen, written by uh, a person I know from uh, the movie I produced for Troma Shakespeare Shitstorm, Julianne Prescott. She started <laughs> writing these Amityville movies, and they're they're getting out there. So, I mean, if you have a couple of bucks, a couple of friends, make uh, Amityville, uh, you know, Firestorm, whatever. Just put Amityville with a noun or a verb and make the movie. It doesn't matter at this point. Hell yeah. yeah. Because you could do that and the Living Dead, right? Living Dead's public domain, so uh, yeah. how about it? So Living Dead, <laughs> I think elements of that are also, you know, it's murky, but overall you could pretty much make a Living Dead movie. You know, Amityville of the Living Dead. There you go. Shit. Amityville versus the Living Dead. Yeah. There you go. Amityville versus <laughs> demons versus zombies. Yeah, yeah there yeah. you go. <laughs> yeah. Now we're getting in the swing of things. We're going to be Asylum 2. Yeah. It, I Look, the thing that I learned from this situation because I talked to somebody who knew the Polonias way before they were working on it and uh, maybe it got leaked. But this is the thing I learned. Make your fucking movie right this second. Don't wait anymore. Yeah. There should be no waiting. And, and part of my mistake was I thought of this thing like seven years ago when Dylan Mars Greenberg was making Vanishing Point. And then I just waited on it for so long until obviously the genre is so like robust now that uh, of course somebody went to space with it. So yeah. make your movie right this second. Do not wait. Don't be like John Brennan, the dumb piece of shit. <laughs> 
who fucking <laughs> waited too long. Yeah, I've heard so many filmmakers at this point just say like, if you have an idea, what are you waiting for? Go do it. Yeah. You know, and what what is really stopping you? There's some guy right now in Nebraska who's having a similar idea as you. Whatever you're thinking of, whether yeah. it's nefarious, whether it's a movie, whether it's uh, you know, what to say to your mother. Somebody's thinking of the same shit. It's not that hard. So make it. Don't wait. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, as a good transition, I feel like that's the type of energy we're dealing with with feeders and these types of movies is like that whole idea of just make it. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. There are there are no restrictions. I have a question. If you maybe found this in your research, was this a mockbuster or was it just that they just so happened to make an alien movie and then whoever was smart enough to say, oh, Independence Day is coming out. Let's put it out a week after Independence Day hits. I mean, it seems like it was pretty well coordinated, but I couldn't find any stories to corroborate that from what i understand this was something that they had kind of put together over a little bit of time and okay. it just finally came together coincidentally when independence day was coming up but Amazing. around that same exact time there was also the arrival with charlie sheen right yeah there sure. was also fire in the sky there yes, was also stargate i mean communion kind of counts right like you ever see alien movies Yes. That was yeah. good. That was with Christopher Walken. With Walken, yeah. yeah. There were other UFO movies kind of around the time. I think the fact that it came out around the time of Independence Day was completely coincidental. Okay. But to its advantage, because none oh, of those other yeah. movies would have launched theaters the way that Independence Day did. Hell no. That was complete coincidence in the way that all that came to. So. Yeah, before we get into feeders in depth, let's talk about SOV horror. This is something, like I mentioned, we have not dipped into at all. This is something that is a brand new world for me. (laughs) You're going to find shit you love. That's the thing. It's addictive. Yeah. And that's where I was kind of excited to do this because initially when I think of SOV horror, I honestly think of stuff like things where it's kind of like, oh, this is... This is kind of slow. <laughs> like, not a lot's happening. It's obviously amateur hour, but I appreciate that. But, like, not a whole lot happens. I will say, I revisited some stuff that I maybe saw years ago or had never seen in the last couple of days. And some of it fucking hollow my head out and turn it into a canoe in the best yes, way. Yes, absolutely. My weird fucking obsession with... Peewee's Playhouse, Tim and Eric, ludicrous shit. This really, really, really got me energized in a way that I was not expecting doing the research for this. Like you said, we were talking offline about what you might want to come on for. I was pretty quick to being like, you know what? Mm -hmm. We haven't done any SOV anything. And I don't think we probably would have immediately if you hadn't prompted this whole discussion. Yeah, this would have been like if we even were still around like episode 572. (laughs) Yeah, kind of like with Andrew Parker and Cannibal Holocaust, Cannibal Ferox. It wasn't something we were originally planning on doing, at least for a long time but it was just right guest right time let's go ahead and pull the trigger so for those that don't know i've mentioned it a few times the phrase sov horror what we're talking about is shot on video horror so the emergence of this weird sub genre micro genre whatever you want to call it 
kind of coincides with the gradual closing of drive-ins and grindhouses and the emergence of the home video market. So it's right kind of in that weird area that confluence is where this kind of grew out of. When we say SOV, a lot of these movies are literally shot on like a camcorder. Like, yeah, absolutely. Think yeah. your backyard movies. Oh, yeah. And they were actually like turned into a full movie. So the thing that blows my mind, and you guys are going to have to be the ones to educate me and the audience on this, how the fuck do these get any distribution whatsoever? Because again, this feels like stuff that you and your friends would just put together like as teenagers. Yeah. I got a little bit about that. A lot of this was a weird nostalgia for me because even at my fucking local blockbuster, which was in suburbia, New Orleans. Yes, New Orleans is a, a city, but it's not that big of a city. I was in the suburbia part of the city, but even my blockbuster had off the wall shit like this in the horror section. Yeah. As I was perusing some like the covers and posters for some of these movies during my research, I remember seeing that on the shelf of fucking blockbuster. Yeah, totally. Let's get in all this. How the fuck do we get from like just shooting shit on a camcorder? for like less than $500 literally and that actually getting like cult followings and like distribution being in Blockbuster when Blockbuster was still around yeah. how did that happen so it's interesting too that we have John on for this being that he is involved with The Last Drive-In with Joe Bob Briggs on Shutter. <laughs> yes um, because again all this started with the decline of drive-ins and grindhouses where all these B-movies and genre movies were being shown and then at the same time you kind of have the emergence of the home video market right so right. beta vhs rental stores all that stuff is becoming a thing people have machines in their own home consumer grade camcorders are becoming a thing and so this was kind of one of those first big steps in terms of really really like in a widespread way democratizing filmmaking because now you know, it wasn't just, okay, cool. Now I scraped together some money from some local dentists and some like investors and family members, and I'm going to make this movie on film and do it the right way in air quotes and actually get it out to drive ins. And I'm going to drive the print around myself. This is even further than that. This is, oh, these two fucking weirdo twins and their weird friend decided, oh, yeah, we're going to make a movie together called Splatter Farm. Yeah. And they got a fucking VHS camcorder shot this movie in the weird most dangerous fucked up no filter no ratings no taste no propriety kind of way we're just like cool here's our movie and would you like to watch it so this is one of those things where because video rental stores were so desperately trying to stock their shelves with anything everything that's part of it Derek is they were taking what the fuck ever if it came in and it had a decent looking label that wasn't clearly handwritten yeah they would pretty much just fucking take it from you and put it on their shelves it's just amazing that that carried over for so long yeah. though even all the way up till the end of the blockbuster era yeah and now that like we're seeing these movies on streaming services like on Tubi yeah and two yeah. things so videos were were like still expensive i mean we all remember like video stores where a vhs copy yeah. of a movie could be anywhere from like 70 dollars to 300 dollars for the rental store to buy and have in their inventory studio movies were expensive and a lot of studios just didn't put out a lot of their movies because they were worried about piracy because again if you've got two fucking VHS players stacked up on top of each other. All you got to do is pop two tapes in and just dub and rip off whatever movie you just rented. And now you can watch whatever the movie is you rented anytime that you want to. So the studios were kind of wary about even putting stuff out. So rental stores were like, 
we'll take it. Yeah. Whatever it is, if it doesn't have like a handwritten title, we'll fucking take it. It leveled the playing field for places like Troma too, uh, you know, yeah. all that stuff because they had a higher quality of movie with say like the Toxic Avenger, but then they would distribute stuff like SOV Redneck Zombies. Yep. And that would just get just as good of business if not, you know, that whatever. So it was really just like you were saying that the larger places were weary of putting stuff out and the independents seized the day and started putting anything out. Yeah. That's why you would go into a video store look oh that's a nice cover let me see what that's all about you get something like goddamn feeders <laughs> yeah yeah and this might be the story for a lot of sov movies but from what i saw of splatter farm i didn't watch the whole thing but from what i wa- i saw of it it felt like for both good and bad this is like the original texas chainsaw but without any limits and what i mean by the good of that is somehow it feels even more dangerous and amateur it's dirty i mean the torture scene and dirtier there's yeah. some things that you wouldn't even want to put in a movie yeah they did <laughs> And then the bad side of that is then there's absolutely no budget either. But like, while they have no limit, they have no budget. And so I can see why these are so addictive because it seems like a lot of them are very short. I mean, what feeders is less than an hour and a half long. Yeah, like an hour and 10 minutes. Yeah, many of them clock around that time. There is just this weird psychotropic 80s, 90s. The only two places I've seen this kind of weird camera aesthetic and how things look and the dialogue being like not at all clean, like it's very hard to hear in outdoors and very weird indoors. <laughs> These two things are just as dangerous as each other, just as crude as each other. I feel like porn that you watch from like the 80s or 90s yeah. and SOV movies had the same like weird psychotropic VHS feel that yeah. you can find nowhere else. Everybody's skin tones are way off and there's always the warble yeah. lines across Warble. the video yeah. and the audio yeah just everything has that weird casio soundtrack so yeah whether it's people being tortured in a basement with fake machetes and lots of blood pumps or it's literally a dude named chaz pumping somebody's wife over a tv set that he's supposed to repair like it's the same thing right it has the same yeah and it feels weird feel to it it feels just as dangerous it feels just as like i shouldn't be watching this but i can't stop watching this yeah it's not clear at all and it's very matter of a fact a conversation you watch in like a big Hollywood movie that's not what it actually looks like in an actual scene of the same two people talking but with an SOV you're just literally like capturing moments of like raw film footage very snuff film esque the first thing that popped in my head after watching feeders is this is the movie equivalent of a 1996-97 Angel Fire shitty website if it was made into a movie like the same weird nostalgic Tim and Eric energy is just there of just an angel fire websites of like the 90s Hollywood movies don't have so many scenes of people walking in and out of houses or walking to and from (laughs) cars for extended periods (laughs) and they don't have nearly as much footage of people's dirty sneakers walking around just (laughs) so many of the movies I watched was just so much of that you know Lots of windbreakers, lots of wood paneling, weird unkempt yards in weird yeah. suburbs. Because like you said, there is that sense of reality because somebody shot it in a real neighborhood. They didn't dress it up. It's not a Hollywood neighborhood. It's not a movie set neighborhood, right? I'm guessing like in their own town too. Yeah. 99% of the time, yeah. Now, a lot of these have a lot of heart because it's a lot of just friends getting together with a yeah. big yeah. dream. And uh, a lot of people don't finish the things that they start, 
but what you're watching are the people that actually got to the finish yeah. line for better or for worse. So yeah. their hearts and, the, and, the, and their blood and all of it's out there on the screen for you to judge. And some did better than others, but really there's a lot of good energy in these movies because it's like, wow, they did it. They fucking yeah. did it. And I get it now like because my very first reaction, as I imagine a lot of people's, is what is this camcorder backyard movie Z-grade bullshit I'm, I'm watching? I figured you would appreciate it, though, because you love shit like The Room so yeah. much, you know? Yeah, and by the end of it, looking up more into this weird micro subgenre, I'm, like, fascinated by it. It's it's such a weird aesthetic. Some are better than others. I mean, this one's... Yeah. I wouldn't say this is one of the best... This is, like, between mediocre and good, right? But there's some great shot-on-video ones. I mean, Beyond the Moon, like, uh, video violence is an amazing movie, right? Yeah. There's just so many really great filmmaking within this genre. It's just that the Polonia brothers, they're an important conversation because of how they've not only started from when they were kids, they're still, ma- or well, one of them passed away, I guess, but they're still doing it. They're still cranking out these movies all these years later. Yeah. yeah. So kind of going back to like the whole conversation, you know, jumping on bandwagons, not a new phenomenon at all in Hollywood. Anytime that there is a genre movie that's hit, every studio rushes to do something fucking similar and kind of <laughs> ride that wave, whether it's Westerns or noirs disaster movies fucking shark movies or alien movies or superhero movies or whatever right so you got to think the years leading up to this whole entire era you had shit like and all these are genre movies but they all fucking hit and they were all huge deals most of them were like fairly low-key but texas chainsaw massacre the exorcist jaws the shining black christmas friday the 13th halloween Those are all movies that had come out and were massive fucking hits within a span of seven years. So now you have a whole generation of young wannabe filmmakers who are all energized to tell their own versions of those stories. But for the first time, they truly had the ability to do it on their own with, again, (laughs) no fucking consideration for budgets or ratings or anything. Like, you could just go fucking do it. This is like indie, indie, way before indie movies were a thing. Absolutely. And like John was saying a second ago, the key to getting them out there and getting people to watch them was you had to have fucking splashy box art, right? This was the era of the big box VHS tapes. You know, it was always advantageous at the time to have the big box that stood out on the shelf. But yeah, the more fucked up your artwork was and the more crazy your title was, the more you would convince people to take a chance on it because it could be the most rad shit ever or it could be like the most lo-fi amateur backyard corn syrup slaughter fest right (laughs) but there was always that temptation it's not quite like the guy trying to like hand you cds in Times square yeah it's not quite like that you're at least making the decision on your own yeah (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah, I'm guessing like conventions weren't really a thing. No, conventions totally were a thing. Oh, they were. And so that's a lot of where you would find this stuff. That's what I was about to say. Would they go to the conventions, sell and hand out a lot of these tapes? Totally. Um, That's how I feel like a lot of that word of mouth would spread. Yeah, because you would go look at a table at a convention and some dude would have all these fucking VHS bootlegs and you'd pick one up 
And it could be some weird fucking Fulci film that just never got to America. And okay, cool. Now I have a copy in my hand. Or it could be some shit that somebody from Deerfield, Michigan filmed in their backyard with their friends, right? (laughs) You never quite knew what you were actually going to be getting. So the first widely considered to be the real start of this phenomenon was Boarding House from 1982. Blue Star presents Boarding House. On September 18, 1972, the Hoffman House was closed due to several mysterious deaths. On September 18, 1982, the house was reopened as a boarding house. Something else will. (laughs) Boarding house rated R. No one under 17 admitted without parent or guardian. In Horror Vision, a Coast Films release. This was the only SOV movie to get actual theatrical distribution. So you sent me a list of trailers to watch, and I watched them all, and this is one of them. And this one seems really fucking weird. It's good. <laughs> I just saw it at the Nighthawk uh, earlier this year on 35mm, and yeah. uh, it was presented by Matt Desiderio of Horror Boobs, who's a pretty much an SOV historian, and it played like gangbusters, man. People were dying. It was as many laughs as Dumb and Dumber or something. It was so good. I kind of want to watch this movie after watching the trailer. Oh, it's, it's like, it seems so fucking wild. I don't know if you're smoking a doob in it, but if you do, smoke a big doob and watch this movie and you will not <laughs> regret it. And if you can, watch Fuck it with yeah. people because it's, yeah. it's a crowd pleaser. Fuck yeah. I watched this today for the first time, which Agfa has this out on Blu-ray, so you can totally get a physical copy of this. Frankly, it is free online. You can find that all over the place if you just want to stream it. But there's a restoration that they just did. And yeah, I've seen comparisons. Yeah, I won't get too deep into it because the one that I just watched of Feeders looked really bad. And I remember seeing it. It was better looking back in the day. So if you can do the restoration, the guys just put out a great looking restoration of this. Uh, but yeah, the, the backstory of this movie is appropriately hazy as well. Nobody really knows details of how fucking Boarding House was made. There are no real members of the cast and crew who did anything else or would talk about it except Except for Alexandra Day, she would go on to like do some soft core. And I think she was in like one other movie. But the background of this movie is just weirdly mysterious. And that was another big weird draw of so much SOV stuff is just it would appear on shelves. And you would not really know who fucking made this. What's the background of this? All the details are very kind of shrouded in mystery in the best sort of ways. And this was certainly one of those. 
There's a great book, Analog Nightmares, that I have that's about the SOV. And I feel like I read it in there about boarding houses that the producer had access to sort of news cameras that they shot the movie on, like huh. these broadcast cameras. And that was kind of the reason that they did that. And then they blew it up to 35 millimeter later. And I'm adding this book to my wish list. <laughs> Thank you. Oh, it's a great book. It's got it's got so much information <laughs> on shot on video. Analog yeah. Nightmares. Thank you, John. Going to add that now. <laughs> I did see see that uh this movie was blown up to 35 which is wild but i mean that's how it got a theatrical but yeah this movie had numerous home video releases under a bunch of different titles some stores even unknowingly carried multiple iterations of this movie just with different titles and they had no idea it was the same movie there's a fucking psychic who wears leopard print thongs you can't even describe this movie because it's a fucking hit of acid yeah combined with (laughs) mushrooms combined with mescaline all at once this movie yeah explanation yeah dude even the trailer was just like yeah i'm on a journey right now like what the fuck is happening yeah (laughs) this fucking weirdo buys a murder house and surprise murders begin to happen again but they had this weird video effect called horror vision that would happen where you would just see the weird giallo gloved hand but then like rainbow fucking video effects emanating from it there is like a weird nightmare sequence involving a pig head there's a fucking haunted refrigerator that vomits yogurt all over somebody every time that the dude uses his psychic (laughs) powers you hear like that mountain lion roar sound effect that like wow kind of sound while he's squinting his eyes You make that supper? Yeah, it's just Where the strings? Come on. No strings. You mean you just made a move with your brain? Yeah, it's focus, a mental focus with the mind. There's an amazing opening of just text for like what seems like five minutes of yeah. of this computer text, like, <laughs> and it just keeps telling you more information. I mean, that shit was fucking hilarious. It just yeah. keeps going. So yeah, this movie kind of blew my brain open when I watched it. This is one that I might pick up a physical copy of it. It was wild. You gotta. I'm telling you, the restoration's worth it. David Pryor would release what is considered to be the first SOV slasher movie in 83 with Sledgehammer. Now we're gonna have some real fun. Hey, an orgy! Alright, that's what I'm waiting for! Let's do cool one that you have. Hey, let's get started. Put your shoes oh, quiet, oh, quiet. I'm talking about a seance. Which, uh, this one's just a group of ratty teens go to a cabin in the woods. They're killed off by a sledge-wielding brute who sometimes turns into a ghost kid. Sure. <laughs> Tons of gore. So good. Lots of gratuitous slow-motion sequences, weird video effects. Slow motion like a motherfucker. That movie has the so most much. slow motion. More than a goddamn John Woo movie. Sledgehammer yeah. is slow motion central. Yeah, everybody jokes about Zack Snyder movies would only end up being two hours if they just <laughs> trimmed out all the fucking slow motion. 
motion. Yeah, Sledgehammer is six minutes yeah. without the slow motion. <laughs> this was like doors closing with a close-up of the doorknob in slow motion. You know, it was just that kind of shit. But I gotta say, it freaked me out. Like, there's something really eerie about the kid and the and the way that the killer morphs into the... It's just that one feels really strange to me when I watch it. Almost like a haunted piece. I don't know. Yeah. They got me there with the emotions. The next big one was Blood Cult from 1985. One of the strangest series of crimes in recorded history took place on a small Midwestern college campus. Each victim was a sorority co-ed. Debbie, was that you? Are you still awake? Each time the killer struck, he mutilated his victim. He took one of her body parts and then left a golden amulet near the body. And the only clue, the story of an ancient witch cult of dog worshippers. Though to be long dead, known only as the Blood Cult. Brothers and sisters, welcome. Welcome. Could a witch cult begun in 1700 be active today? Could it be killing co-eds? And why? That is what a small town sheriff, Ron Wilboyce, must find out as he delves deeper and deeper into the mystery of the college murders. He discovers that the blood cult is after him, but then it is too late, for he is in a trap, and the only escape is death. Blood Cult, a movie so gruesomely realistic, so graphically true, it is banned from two Midwestern campuses. With an ending so surprising, we dare you to guess who the killer is. Blood Cult, the first movie made especially for the home video market, is a film you won't soon forget. This is another one that looked fucking wild yeah. from the, the trailer. This yeah. one was kind of one of the first breakout successes that found its way onto Blockbuster shelves. You know, mom and pop places would carry these, but Blockbuster was still pretty picky about what they put on their shelves, and this one made it. This is a fucking sheriff investigating a killer who's targeting sorority girls. His daughter goes to the same college and she's assisting him, but she's clearly like a 40 year old woman. Lots of gore, fucking Mm. demon gods and cursed (laughs) amulets and allusions to like Dungeons and Dragons, which you won't get in a mainstream movie normally. Uh, You know, that's why SOV is so good. They could go on tangents and they could mix genres. They could do shit that you would never even fucking think of. Yeah. It's amazing. Yeah. Well, and the thing that's wild to me is you mentioned boarding house budget of about 10,000 sledgehammer had a budget of about 40,000 that's pretty high for an sov i feel like they didn't use that money to make the movie they were partying behind the scenes because yeah. that 40,000 yeah. ain't on the screen no offense none taken yeah that 40,000 went up people's noses yeah maybe drinking blood cold estimated 27,000 so like i mean granted feeders the legend is 500 dollars. this is still some fucking low budgets these are the tip top yeah yeah, yeah you could you can understand yeah. where the money goes when there's the gore, but in Sledgehammer, there's not yeah. a lot of gore. Yeah, there is a lot of yeah. drunken uh, behind the scenes. I'm sure. Yeah, Blood Cult is also known specifically because it had a huge marketing campaign that actually cost more than the fucking movie cost. Yeah, but <laughs> it led to the nice. movie being a really big financial hit. And so by this point, there were several producers who were specifically seeking out SOV projects because of that insane investment to profit ratio. 
Bill Blair had his company United Home Video, and that would eventually split into another company called VCI Home Video, and they were just basically doubling up and putting out a lot of the same stuff. They were highly successful, did a lot of weird regional exploitation stuff and rip-off movies. You had all these oddball bits and pieces of things that were from different parts of the country that they were just bringing to the opposite sides of the country, and that's part of how they would just keep this whole churn going, because so much of it was just regional focus. It feels like a lot of these movies owe a a lot of their spirit to like Midwestern small towns because it feels like a lot of them are shot in those areas. I mean, it's kind of all over. There were a lot that were shot in the South. There were a lot that were shot in Jersey. There were a lot that were shot in California. I mean, they were filmed all over the country. Yeah. Yeah. It just seems like between feeders. And I I do remember reading on Blood Cold that it was somewhere in Oklahoma that it, it has like kind of a weird Midwestern feel to it. I think it's more that there is a weird slightly rural small town feel that feels familiar to kind of anywhere that you grew up for the most part like i said it was a lot of windbreakers and wood paneling on walls and that was <laughs> yeah. so many places across the country during that time well and i think that that is the beauty you really can't fully appreciate and, and not i don't want to sound like i'm being in a gatekeeping asshole right now but like feel like you can't really appreciate sov if you didn't grow up during the 80s or 90s because like granted i was born late 80s but i caught that tail end through the 90s you said like the wood paneling and all of that and windbreakers there's a lot of stuff even in feeders that kind of brought up a little bit of that little kid brain in me same with some imagery in the other sov movies yeah i would agree with that to a certain extent but man i'll tell you what watching a lot of these movies today this is the type of shit that gen z kids would honestly like lose their fucking minds over oh yeah they would like really expose themselves to it more that weird just surreal nonsense gen z humor bruh this would be like right <laughs> up so many 20 year olds alleys right now if they watch this shit yeah there is a lot of surrealist nonsense energy Absolutely. to this too yeah i feel like it's like any other genre once you get exposed to it i feel like a lot of the people who would love it haven't been exposed to it because sometimes yeah. Yeah. people think oh it's old or you know i'm not gonna watch that sort of thing but it's a beautiful time capsule of those decades and yes like you said the absurdity and the surrealism is right up this generation's alley so i hope that uh i hope that they start to jump on board oh, yeah. yeah that's a good point so the real damn burst happened in 86 video store owner gary cohen released video violence what is this time, Mr. Emery? Another act of video violence. This morning we found a tape in our Dropbox. It was a tape of a murder shot on video. This town has a strange preoccupation with violence. The only thing we seem to rent are gory horror movies. The big thing to do on Saturday night is sit in front of the tube and watch people getting killed. You lay off them monster movies for a while. You stick with the kitty stuff. 
which is maybe kind of the most well-known and so widely good. distributed SOV title. And I rewatched it today. It's still fucking great. The concept of it's great. I even like two. Two I want to watch. Two is very good. Yeah. But the concept of video violence is probably the greatest concept in the shot on video movie. Yeah. Which is, you know, there's actual snuff films in the video store that people are renting. Yeah. That is a cool concept. <laughs> yeah. And then it goes deeper into the investigation of who's making these snuff films and da-da-da-da-da. It's just a really yeah. good idea. And allegedly, Cohen was approached by a mother and her children at his rental store asking whether or not the title I Dismember Mama included any nudity. And when he was like, no, I don't remember there being any nudity in this. The mother was like, oh, okay, then it's good for the kids to watch. Uh, the fuck? <laughs> right? So that strange notion of what's acceptable to view kind of inspired Cohen to make this New Jersey trash piece. Amazing. It was nominated for Best Independent Film by AFI in 86. It was a huge deal at the time. But yeah, it's a couple that opened a video rental store in this seemingly mundane suburb town full of all these rude assholes who only want to rent horror movies and porn. But <laughs> a tape is returned to them and it had been swapped with a snuff film tape. And so then, of course, they're like, oh, shit, this is real. This is not a fake movie or whatever. We got to figure out what's going on. And then, of course, like John said, it gets deeper and deeper as they kind of try to figure out where these snuff tapes are coming from. Cohen made the sequel the next year. I have not seen this one, and I'm very, very curious to check this one out because this sounds to me like video violence plus fucking Weird Al's UHF, where it's this weird meta approach where the town is now producing a pirate variety TV snuff show that is jumping <laughs> onto the fucking New Jersey airwaves. Yeah, like a public access show. It's so good. So yeah, I'm, I'm very, very fucking interested to check this one out, and that's one of the next ones I'm going to seek out immediately. It's a great sequel, but if you're expecting the same exact story from the first one, different vibe, don't yeah. think that way. It's like an equal instead of a sequel, you know? what I mean? Totally. <laughs> From there, you know, you mentioned already Trauma entered the SOV world with Redneck Zombies. Great movie also. Yeah, that one's fun. Donna Michelle Productions would release Splatter Farm, Cannibal Camp Out, Woodchipper Massacre from John McBride and the Polonia Brothers, who, of course, did feeders that we're talking about tonight, which I rewatched Splatter Farm and God damn it, I forgot the grandmother exploding at the end. That... <laughs> shit killed me. It's so good. I mean, spoilers everybody, but there's a, a fisting scene in this movie, and yeah. it's just unfucking believable Nobody had the bravery in the 80s to do that other than the Polonia brothers. Yeah, just watching, I, I don't know which brother it was, it was John or Mark, but watching him, like, vomit up his guts, and it's clearly just reverse photography, where he's got some <laughs> kind of edible fake intestines hanging out of his mouth that he's slow like munching and eating and swallowing and then of course they're just playing it backwards where it looks like he's just like intestines coming out right I was kind of yeah. dying when I was watching that one Splatter Farm was my entry into this genre to say okay if that's what this is just wait till I see the rest of this shit because yeah. it was during the pandemic I mean I've se I had seen it before but it didn't hit me the way that during the pandemic I was watching this thing and I said this is my new hobby now shot on video movies so I went on a tear <laughs> during the pandemic it was great. And the great thing is so many of these movies are just on the internet. You can watch them. They're just there at this point because they've not really been converted to DVD, let alone Blu-ray in a lot of cases. Some are getting their due. Yeah, some definitely are. Agfa's doing a lot of that work. Agfa and a lot of the groups that work with Vinegar Syndrome. And Camp Motion Pictures was released.
releasing a bunch of them back in the day and you know so you could still get those dvds and stuff yeah yeah so like when i was looking around the, the three movies that everyone pointed to the movies to watch when you're first getting into this genre splatter farm one Video violence, too. And then oddly enough, because this one also comes up with a lot of people point to it as like what transitioned us eventually to the modern day found footage. The McPherson tape, UFO abduction. Yeah, that's a cool one, too. I was just about to mention yeah. it. Yeah. Happy birthday to you. Wait, Michael Lush. Yeah! Hold on. Oh, it's working. Forget it. Oh, you're gonna break your neck today. I'm gonna break your neck. Holy shit, man. What the hell was that? Holy shit. What the hell is that? He's got him! He shot one of them dead. It's right outside there. Are you sure it's not back there? It's not back there. I just took a look in there. Get out. So, yeah, the, the McPherson tape is a found footage faux home video alien invasion movie. Axiom Films put it out. I believe it is available on Shutter right now. That is another one that you can get, I believe, through Agfa. That is one I do want to watch. It's very cool. It's it's so ahead of its time. It's very cool because it's taking itself very seriously. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it is not winking at all. It is not being hammy on purpose. Like, it feels... No real like it feels kind of fucked up and weird the only complaint is just it's so dark you can't really tell what's ever going on and i think the aliens you know they could have even shown a little less of the aliens in my opinion yeah because it's so creepy and like i don't know it just reminded me of actual home videos whoever those actors were either knew each other or were the some of the greatest goddamn actors on the face of the earth because it was so real yeah yeah easily easily the most naturalistic realistic acting of really any of the SOV stuff I've seen. Like, it is very eerie how realistic that movie feels. And like I said, despite it being very dark and hard to tell what's going on, that just kind of lends itself to that weird, fucked up, like, what am I watching? Just squinting at your screen, trying to make sense of the pixels at three in the morning, watching creepy shit on your phone, right? Like, it has that kind of feeling. Yeah. This one's really worth checking out. The Fearson tape again. I think that's on Shutter right now. Once again, it's a no budget film because it only used north of six grand, I think, to shoot it. Yeah. Another weird one from this time United Home Video put out this movie called The Ripper. Tonight, this very night, you are the only thing that stands between me and permanent release from the void that has been my prison for the better part of this last century. Tom Savini is The Ripper. The master of film gore takes you beyond the edge of terror as the Whitechapel murder legend lives on. The Ripper, produced exclusively for home video. Young man, you can't kill me. Starring fucking makeup legend Tom Savini? That's a stretch, though. That's a goddamn stretch. The final 
five minutes. Yeah, he's not in the whole movie. Yeah, yeah. I thought he was going to be, but it's a great five minutes. Yeah, you had me for a second being like, yeah. wait, really? He is all over the fucking <laughs> box cover and everything. Yeah, I, I went into that movie. I'm like, holy shit, Tom Savini started. A, and, and while the rest of the movie is actually really good, he's only in it for a little while, but it is great. It's it's very entertaining. Another wild one that I remember seeing years ago, director Chester Turner made this movie called Black Devil Doll from Hell. Oh, which is exactly dude, what it sounds like. The best. It was just another ordinary Sunday for Helen Black. But when she entered the Rhodes and gift shop, something magical began to happen. May I help you? This puppet has very strange powers. How much is Black Devil Doll from Hell. <laughs> It is said that it is able to give its owner its heartfelt wish. It's a story about faith, friendship. It's about loving (laughs) to laugh (laughs) and betrayal. Shirley L. Jones as Helen Black. That's wonderful. Reverend Obi Dunson as himself. Can I get a amen? And also as himself, the Black Devil doll. I'm gonna give you a lesson in pain. <laughs> Don't miss Black Devil doll from hell. <laughs> <laughs> So out of all the trailers you had me watch, this one was the most what the fuck am I watching? (laughs) And it definitely delivers on that what the fuck. Yeah, (laughs) that movie is fucking wild. And I'll tell you guys, I saw that one years ago. The one I watched literally an hour before we just started recording. I didn't know he had another movie. I thought he was a one and done director. Tales from the Quad Dead Zone. Fucking Tales from the Quad Dead Zone is on Tubi. It is an hour long. It is an anthology and it kind of cracked my head open a little bit with just the opening song over these weird kid drawings of things that were going on in the movie is wild. It's the most Casio Wesley Willis fucking rock and roll McDonald's shit. All the music from his movies is just, uh, it's haunting. The worst Casio keyboard you could have. It's like, dong, dong. 
bonk, with that weird beat going. Yeah. <laughs> and everything is just crunchy and blown out. Yeah. And then there's just weird lyrics over it that don't rhythmically work in the way that they should. It's nuts, man. I, I got to rip that main song and just put that on my phone for when I'm just a little bit too drunk and want to put on something weird. It's this weird anthology where there's a wraparound of this woman reading a book to her ghost child who keeps blowing wind through her hair. Oh, you have a new book for mommy to read. Okay, Bobby. You bring mommy the book and she'll read the book to you. Tales from the Quiet Dead Zone. Then there's a story about this family fighting over food, and then a story about this guy who dresses his dead brother up like a clown who gets brought back to life and then like fucks up his brother. (laughs) It was kind of nuts in that weird what am I looking at kind of way. Insane video effects of weird animated ghosts and shit. When I looked up more about Black Devil Doll from Hell after watching that ridiculous trailer, I saw that there were two cuts. There was a 70 minute cut, the original version, and then a 140 minute director's cut. (laughs) What? I don't know if I can handle 140 minutes of that. Yeah, that's the fucking Turner cut right there. That's the fucking release the Turner cut. Jesus. Yeah. Okay. So other SOV titles worth checking out for sure. Cannibal Hookers, which is exactly what it sounds like. Demon (laughs) Queen, Blood Lake, 555, which was very fucking interesting in premise. Definitely kind of grody, misogynistic, but the entire premise of it was just kind of fucking wild. Fatal Images, Death Row Diner, Death Nurse, Things that I mentioned a second ago. Winter Beast just recently became available, and I'm going to check that one out soon. Revenge, and then The Burn. Burning Moon is kind of the last one that I would bring up because there were a whole chunk of SOV movies that were made in Germany because it became a really big fucking thing over there for some reason. James Hales has been a frequent guest on our show when he and I were chatting at work about weird off the beaten path stuff. One day I just remember him telling me, yeah, I watched um, violent shit. One, two, and three. And I was like, Jesus Christ. A, there's a movie called Violent Shit. And then there's a trilogy, a Violent Shit trilogy. So yeah, there was like a big movement of all this stuff in Germany. And there's like a weird legacy to all this too. Because, you know, I've heard a lot of people criticize Rob Zombie's use of video effects in his early stuff. But that's clearly a weird homage to all this stuff. All the actual VHS footage that he incorporates in there in kind of a snuff filmy way and stuff like House of a Thousand Corpses, all of the weird inverted color video effects. It's clear that he watched a lot of that stuff while he was coming up and he kind of incorporated a lot of the look and feel into his own music videos and his movies. You know, there were some early examples of this subgenre. We already talked about Cannibal Holocaust, but found footage really took off in the wake of the SOV movement. So like, yeah, no SOV, probably no found footage for what it is now. Yeah, I feel like that was the next step up was yeah. the modern day found footage movie. SOV is 
is still pretty alive. In the 2000s, you had all the August underground movies. You know, now we're getting to the point where literally the phones in our pockets take amazing video, all things considered. And there have been plenty of independent movies shot on fucking iPhones at this point. So it's interesting kind of seeing what people are doing now in a very, very lo-fi kind of way. And obviously, you know, with YouTube and obviously now we have TikTok and all these other bits and pieces, people can put content out there whenever, you know, hell, we're doing a podcast right now. So just the access to all this stuff and the ability to do it all on your own. I mean, you could literally use your phone to shoot, edit and distribute a movie and instantly have it available for people to watch right away. And it can all be done with the thing that's in your pocket now. But obviously, you know, other things like fucking Tim and Eric, you know, I already mentioned it, like all of the fucking Tim and Eric (laughs) aesthetic, all the weird video effects is so rooted in all of this nonsense. The weird kind of horror surreal angle reminds me so much of all of Ty Siegel's stuff. Derek and I are huge Ty Siegel fans, all of his music, you know, a lot of his aesthetic is kind of built around this so there's definitely a legacy of kind of the art form of sov and the style that has bled over into a lot of modern work so it's definitely something that you know it may not necessarily be your cup of tea but it is worth checking out just out of curiosity john mentioned it earlier but there is an awesome fucking website and book Bleeding Skull. They have a lot of reviews and a lot of kind of write-ups and lists for this subgenre. And they have two books. They have Bleeding Skull, a 1980s trash horror odyssey. That one came out in 2013. It is written by Joseph A. Ziemba and Dan Budnick. There's a second volume covering just the 90s. And that one was written by Ziemba, Annie Choi, and Zach Carlson that came out last year. So yeah, definitely like an awesome weird subgenre to dip your toes in and the great thing is you can find a lot of these movies on Tubi TV and YouTube and places like that so they're readily available yeah. and that kind of gets us down finally to feeders <laughs> John do you have any experience behind the production of SOV movies? Have you been in any SOV movies? That's why I wanted to be a filmmaker was because me and my friends used to make movies on high eight when I was a kid, whatever, from when I was real young to all the way through the end of high school, we would make the A team. We did our own karate movies. We tried to make a horror movie. It was horrible. Uh, A lot of skits and stuff like that. And I have all these archives things. So whenever I watch these movies, I'm seeing my sort of childhood play out and just this nostalgia over takes me but uh, as far as the actual shot on video i made this web series for trauma called kabuki man's cocktail corner which uh (laughs) used the sarge kabuki man as a talk show host and we did our best to make it sort of like a shot on video wild tim and eric aesthetic with just crazy psychedelic things happening so very much inspired (laughs) all of that weirdness on that show for sure and then i did a couple of shorts for dolphin man the other character for trauma that i made as lo-fi as possible i mean if you watch them we shot them for $50 or under each short and we made it that way on purpose so that we can have those limitations and get that lo-fi aesthetic it makes sense that uh trauma kind of goes hand in hand with sov and then there's a lot of things that they distribute at trauma or continually sov or i mean now it's all sov because it's all digital but as far as that aesthetic sometimes there were movies that would come into the trauma to be distributed and they had layered in an, uh, a vhs effect over it just to make it look more like these movies yeah so 
still out there. The video game equivalent of all this is a developer called Puppet Combo. It is like the SOV version of that for video games, but they do it for horror video games. And uh, it's very much the same energy as all of this. Hell yeah. Speaking of doing shit on your phone, you know, like I said a second ago, you can have really great quality on the phone. Though hell, phones in our pockets shoot 4K video, right? There is a great app that is called Rare Vision VHS. It's kind of the fucking best if this is what you want to do because it literally lets you do all kinds of different video effects. You can specifically put in, if you want the time and date in the top corner, you can determine how much fuzz you want. It gives you that really kind of awful, warbly kind of look to it. Yeah, Lots and lots of good apps for that. That would definitely be worth checking out if you want to shoot some stuff and play around and have fun with that. Cool. So yeah, let's talk about feeders. Finally, this movie came out in 96. It is about two dudes on a road trip through rural Pennsylvania, and they stumble across an alien invasion. Here's a little clip that uh, will give you an idea of what we're getting into. An invasion. We're witnessing the beginning of an invasion. If so, we know what they like to eat. Yeah, us. Hello, this is Donna. Donna, it's Michelle. What's up? I made my dad lunch, but he never came home. I met a cute guy today. Yeah, it'll be a lot funner when we hit the Atlantic Ocean and I can watch all those babes in those skimpy suits. So, uh, Derek, <laughs> how did you enjoy the alien invasion? Did you enjoy the amount of oh, alien screaming throughout the course of this movie? <laughs> <laughs> so I have to own up because horror newbies, none of this is going to be like, oh, should you watch this because it's too scary? It is literally a home movie. Yeah. But I will have to admit, I, there was a part that actually did jump scare me. It like scene cut to one of the aliens screeching. And for whatever reason, I was half paying attention. I think maybe my daughter was starting to wake up from her nap because, of course, I watched this movie on my computer like right next to her while she was napping. I looked away to see if she was waking up and then cut to an alien screeching. I was just like, oh, shit. <laughs> I felt dumb for jump scaring to that. But <laughs> Yeah, because you look up and it's a fucking paper mache alien. <laughs> yeah, like the most obvious puppet alien I've ever seen. But again, this was kind of the equivalent of that weird 90s psychotropic VHS feel that you would otherwise only feel or you'd only see in like 80s and 90s VHS porn. And like, I didn't know that there were movies like this that had this aesthetic to 
it again. My first thought after I finished watching was like, this was an Angel Fire website made into an <laughs> amateur movie. I mean, imagine it's 1996 and Independence Day just came out and you're riding that high. I mean, you fucking Jeff Goldblum, Will Smith, Randy Quaid, even though he's crazy now, they blew up that alien <laughs> spaceship and you're like, I need more alien action. And then you go into Blockbuster and you see this feeders box and you think, oh, maybe this is right up my alley. And you take it home and you have one of the weirdest acid trips you've ever had in a fucking Oh, absolutely. <laughs> it's such a weird energy to it. Like, and I guess that is for all the SOV movies, but like, man. You know how many sleepovers were either made or ruined by this movie? Oh, that's so great. <laughs> so I do have a story about that because, again, our local blockbuster had a lot of these types of movies. It was all just mixed up with the regular horror shit. So you could have John Carpenter's original Halloween and then right next to it is something like this. But I remember there was this movie that me and, my, and one of my friends kept passing by and we're like, we know it looks like shit, but we were kind of going through this weird phase of just horror movies of like possessed toys. And we rented a movie called Terror Tunes, directed by Joe Castro. That was like my experience of an SOV movie before I realized what that actually was. We ruined a sleepover because there were a bunch of people <laughs> that came over and we were all like 14 being like, yeah, fuck yeah, we're going to watch this horror movie. And then we put it on and we're like, what in the hell is this? Half the actors are porn actresses. There's no budget to this whatsoever. The introduction was just this random guy like dressed like a punk who came on the screen but like, this is Joe Castro's most fucked up movie ever. Oh hope you enjoy and he's like literally like in a garage i guess that was my exposure before i realized what this micro genre actually was <laughs> 2002's terror tunes oh haven't seen that one off to check that out <laughs> i haven't watched it since i was 14 15 but i remember it being fucking weird really weird i have never heard of this one and i'm looking at it now and yeah this is like guar if they didn't want to become metalheads and they instead all wanted to be like <laughs> cartoonists this is very much I was the guy who actually came up with Simpsons, but then Matt Groening like stole it from me kind of energy that I'm looking at here. Yeah, this is some monkey bone shit, but with porn actresses, like you said. Yeah, it's very monkey bone, but like very, very low budget monkey bone. It's kind of the same thing. Like it's a sleepover, but it's all these horny teenagers. Of course, they're all played by like adult porn actress and actors. Like at one point, they're all getting killed off in weird ways by these various terror tunes. Then one of them like realizes that since she's in a cartoon she can like change herself so she becomes a superhero and like fight satan at some point <laughs> sure the movie just goes in ridiculous weird ways yeah yeah this this stuff looks amazing i'm checking it out too i think really the first dip my toes into something similar was the guys that made fucking south park their first movie was cannibal the musical which i believe that one also has some weird sideways trauma connection as well too it is it's a trauma distributed movie they couldn't get it distributed anywhere else so lloyd said we'll take you yeah <laughs> hell yeah so like that's one that i definitely remember watching and I remember thinking like what is this fucking musical slash horror movie slash historical drama that looks like i made it in the backyard you know and just being kind of charmed and enamored with that and then all of a sudden making the 
connection a year later. Oh shit, these are the dudes that made South Park, you know? So it was just kind of like this weird, I didn't know you could make movies like this, even though that's how I was making movies growing up. Very weird and interesting kind of dip my toe in, which that would have been around the time that feeders came out, honestly. Kind of right around then when I was really starting to kind of make shit with my friends in the backyard. Uh, We also made a Kung Fu movie that was ripping off Five Deadly Venoms. I remember for high school, we made this weird fucking long ass horror movie. We, d- we had to do like a project for our math class. And my idea was I'm going to shoot a fucking 45 minute long video that I'm going to make the entire class watch to eat up the entire class period. Oh, so that we amazing. can just bail and not actually have to do work. But uh, it was very much an Evil Dead style thing with me and my friends having to use math like, oh, the ancient symbols and shit and we had to figure out all this stuff to close this portal right so like this is something that unknowingly to me i was very much involved in before i really discovered oh other people do this weird shit too it's not just me but yeah feeders was written and directed by john mcbride who had previously done cannibal camp out wood chipper massacre terror house blood red planet And John and Mark Polonia, uh, the Polonia brothers, who were both twins, they had done Hallucinations, Lethal Nightmare, Hellspawn. They first teamed up making Splatter Farm. Obviously, Feeders has weird influences from Alien to Evil Dead to Friday the 13th to the Body Snatcher movies. There's just a lot that this movie is definitely pulling from in terms of its influences. To serve man. (laughs) Yeah. We are the food. Yeah. Yeah. Allegedly, this movie was only shot in four days, like Derek was saying, with a budget of only $500. Amazing. Uh, (laughs) It was filmed in Wellsboro, Pennsylvania, where they're from. And I mean, that was kind of all I really found in the movie. I mean, they made it. It was picked up by Blockbuster in hopes of cashing in on the success of Independence Day that had just come out. It came out the same exact summer. I really wish I could know how many people picked it up. Oh, totally. Thinking like Independence Day. Yeah, to be a fly on the wall. And like they were. (laughs) livid and like returning it back to the blockbuster or they were like this is better than the goddamn independent state <laughs> yeah yeah some of it yeah. is you gotta wonder too how many blockbuster employees would warn people or how many blockbuster <laughs> employees would just you're gonna like this one sure here here enjoy. you go <laughs> thumbs up yeah i found uh, a great article there was an old website something awful they had given this a uh, horrible review back in the early 2000s and then either mark or john polonia made a rebuttal and send in some information about you know basically giving a critique of the bad review and it's very funny if you if you could find it uh, something awful.com hell yeah 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 just it's wild to me that this movie got into blockbuster first of all that's what that blows my mind yeah and not only that but like you said this became blockbusters number one indie rental of the fucking year which they must have made some money out of this then yeah they had to have made some money right (laughs) blockbuster was the nationwide chain and to be the number one indie rental of the year they had to have rented so many copies this is the heyday of blockbuster too yeah they weren't on the decline when this came out yeah this was 96 dvd was still a twinkle in some person's eye so vhs was fully still the format so we didn't pick feeders because one of the main characters name is also Derek spelled the same way I do it and also he's a raging virgin in this movie right <laughs> that's just a coincidence no. yeah yeah just a coincidence yeah 
I did see that there's a book apparently that was published by Douglas Waltz that came out this past year called Monster Vision, the films of John and Mark Polonia. So I might pick that up just out of curiosity. Monster Vision. What is he talking about? That's Joe Bob's show. They they just hijacked that title. What the fuck? What the you couldn't say Splatter Vision for the <laughs> Polonias. All of a sudden, it's Monster Vision. I'm sorry. No offense to the guy who wrote it, but that's weird. That's also in keeping with the spirit of their movies. <laughs> I guess <laughs> so. I... Just rip it off. <laughs> <laughs> it's such a weird thing to do. You, you, there's so many yeah. other things you could say that the Polonia brothers did. Anyway, I, I bet it's a great book. <laughs> Honestly, I had heard of this movie. And I think I had seen bits and pieces of it before. I remember seeing it on Sci-Fi Channel used to do... It, it wasn't Mystery Science Theater, obviously. It was like some other kind of like bad movie showcase where they had some host person. I remember seeing some of this on there because seeing John Polonia in the movie with his mustache and his glasses and everything wandering around the house with a candle, that stuck in my head. And for the longest time i never really remembered what that was until i watched this again and then all of a sudden unlocked these weird memories of it but the score to this is kind of great it's cool right is it all library music no i think somebody wrote it it's got that weird charlie brown knockoff driving music where it's like yeah it does and then the opening the opening theme is really catchy and fun yeah And that whole opening was kind of fun, too, because oh. it was like 8-bit style graphics yeah. of yeah. UFOs flying to Earth. Interdispersed with, so Mark Polonia drew those sketches from the beginning, and he mentioned that in, <laughs> in the Something Awful article. I guess they just, uh, you know, he, he didn't have a lot of time and for that $500 budget, so he drew some sketches himself, Yep, and they're in the movie. Yeah, I feel like a lot of the $500 went to the actual like VHS re- that they recorded on, and then maybe a couple of the gore effects because there, there were one there or two gore effects cool gore that effects. were pretty good and and the, yeah. i think the head the decapitated head actually yeah. looks yes. pretty cool that looks pretty good yeah. yeah i was surprised by that and the part where the woman who's like the younger version of hank hill's wife she gets her <laughs> chest eaten open that's a great scene and then the scene where he stabs that was a good uh, scene too, yeah. the doppelganger with the sickle Th- there's some gore in there you're right it's cool there's yeah. some cool stuff that's hilarious yeah. that you said that because literally one of my notes is Michelle got those Peggy Hill vibes. <laughs> I, when I saw it, I'm like, that's Peggy fucking Hill, but there's a teenager. That, yeah. Unfortunately, she dies. Well, and I, I remember like her friend just finds her, fights the alien off and kills it, and then gets in her car and leaves the movie. It's gone. Like, yeah. doesn't come, it doesn't just come just back. Gone. Yep. <laughs> and then I, I also love, they bring that guy in. The guy is clearly breathing still in that scene. Oh, yeah. But the guy like comes in, like kind of listens to him, sort of. I was like, 
well, he's dead. Guess we got to call <laughs> yeah. this one in now. I also love the <laughs> oh, man scene at the gas station. Oh, my God. Where yeah. John Polonia <laughs> is gassing up his fucking, what is that, like an 84 Mustang. Which, by the way, that Buck 09 gas. Give me some of that, please. Yeah. He's squinting in the sunlight, pushing his glasses up with his mustache. And he looks over in like the most Napoleon Dynamite kind of way and sees this girl. Immediately, there's that like, wah, 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 wah kind of moment he walks over and just says hi hi what are you doing yeah and then it just cuts it just cuts back to him like standing alone in the parking lot everybody in this movie it's like they're learning english with each new line of dialogue yeah yeah it's all very very strangely delivered i mean even john polonia has such a strange inflection in the way he delivers lines these strange line readings but i don't know if that's done on purpose or if that was just the way that they did it and it was a beautiful accident I don't know. It doesn't help that anytime they're outside because like, there's no like audio budget at all. It's all on camcorder. You can barely fucking hear them because all the noise <laughs> yeah. of outside is also good. Yeah. I love that they're there like to take photos. And yet oh, yeah. the camera that he's using is <laughs> like some $130 Olympus 35 mil and not like an actual DSLR of some type. No professional no. camera stuff at all. It's basically just like a disposable camera. And I love every time that they so do good. the animated shutter, you know, just like in snapping the photo. All I can think of is the Tim and Eric. Great job. <laughs> every time that fucking shutter closes. Great job. I'm also not sure how the old the characters are supposed to be in this. Yeah. They're acting like 18 year olds, but they all look like they're 42. Yeah. So it's like, it's very bizarre. I don't know what's happening. Like who, how old are they supposed to be like college dudes like out for babes or whatever? I don't know. Yeah. John Polonia would be 20, what? Almost, almost 30. Oh, really? Yeah. They were born in 68. Oh so my God. So he would have been like 28 at the time, but so. for fucking real, he looks like maybe a 19. 18 year old who just figured out how to grow a mustache yeah people used to look so like i don't know they used to look older in the 80s and then in the 90s they looked younger yeah seriously looks like his character bennett watched the fucking beastie boy sabotage video the year before and was like that's what i need i need one of those fucking push broom just big old caterpillars on my lip speaking of the beastie boys they do uh that camera effect from like wolfen and uh so what you want I think that music video. Yeah. Where like yeah, switches. It's, it's just the inverted colors. Yeah. It's kind of that weird predator Kool-Aid vision. Yeah. Yeah. And this might have been because by this time I was down to the movie. I, down is a bad way of saying it, but I was at the movie's level and I was like, I get it. I'm understanding like this whole thing. One of the things was when he runs away after like he fights the doppelganger and the alien talks to him and reveals like why they're there. And it's implied that this invasion is happening everywhere. He's just running and he makes it back in the town which i looked up wellsboro pennsylvania this main street looks very much like the main street he was running down at the end that was actually kind of a creepy moment yeah. where it's like five or six in the morning you can tell yeah it's very foggy like the morning dew is out it's that eerie weirdness right before the sun actually comes up and it's still 
not dark, but it is dark. Yeah. Yeah. And like no one's out on the street because in actuality in this small town, no one is going to open up for another couple hours as it is. So no one is on this main street. And like there is something always haunting to me about like even in larger towns that have like a main street, but like nothing opens until like eight in the morning and nothing is open past like midnight. It always is very dead like that on the main streets. I really dug that part because it did help with the whole like idea of like, oh, we're in a hopeless situation now. Like the invasion has begun, even though the invasion is done by like sock puppet aliens that like paper mache that apparently you could just kick and they die. (laughs) Which those aliens are little fucking stinkers, man. Yeah, they are. So funny. (laughs) They acted like gremlins kind. (laughs) Derek, you have cats, so you'll understand exactly what I'm saying. You know how your cat is just a fucking inside cat and then if they get outside and they actually go through some grass then all of a sudden they have these delusions of grandeur where they're like oh I'm the fucking predator of the jungle right now yeah, and like they yeah. you know you see them like arching up their shoulders and shit acting like badass and it's like you're still a fucking cat just you got outside right that's how I'm imagining all these aliens actually are where they're just fucking running around with the predator vision and they're just like <laughs> screaming the entire time they're just like we're the killers and it's really just these weird little fucking dinky sock puppet aliens like you said and you gotta imagine that they are made fun of by all the other alien species like the xenomorph like picks on them at school (laughs) yeah i kind of love the fucking aliens in this they are they're little stinkers the smash cut after the line don't worry about your dad he probably got a bite somewhere else and then it just immediately cuts to where the aliens fucking laughing covered in blood eating this dude's neck (laughs) that shit killed me yeah there's a lot of stuff like that it just let you know that maybe the Polonia brothers it's not all a mistake you know some of the things that are bizarre and whatever are there because they want them there they're doing it on purpose sometimes you know yeah maybe some of it is is a mistake but a lot of it's by design yeah there's totally a sense of humor to this movie that it's purposeful yeah Yeah. some of the more random moments of like dropped plot lines why was this character even there and then they just get unceremoniously killed yeah yeah exactly that ranger guy oh the ranger guy too yeah Girl, don't show back up with like what's, what's the deal with that oh no there's a meteorite today's gonna be a bad day i just knew it there's another meteorite i better go check it out before it becomes a forest fire yeah fucking ranger rick slammed his hand on the jeep and just went damn another f- meteorite i was just like oh god here we go yes give me this damn it another one i knew this was gonna be a bad day I guess I'll follow the first one. It'll start a fire before the other one anyway. Damn. (laughs) (laughs) And then you had this other guy who's just mind his own business fishing, and he gets fucking murdered for Yeah, for no reason. He's one of the first ones. Yeah, Yeah, and again, one of those little stinkers steals his fish and eats his fish. What an asshole. I love that part. That's such a great little (laughs) small little detail that was so funny. Why do they keep showing the time? There's like no real ticking clock that matters. Yeah. Nope. There's no countdown. There's no no it's not like a countdown. It's just like it's 619 p.m. Why? Who cares? Like we (laughs) we know sort of that we're following along with this day. I just think that's another funny, like bizarre detail that they thought maybe made it a little more professional or something. Yeah. You know, there's a graphic on screen. That's production value. Speaking of some of the knowing humor 
of course, when you're an identical twin, you have to fucking do the evil twin gag. Hell That's yeah. just totally something that you have to work into this fucking movie. I love, you know, of course, once you kind of understand what's actually happening, kind of where the ball drops there, that moment's pretty hilarious. I also love how Bennett says, you know, oh, we've got all this gear in the car. I don't want to leave it just hanging out. And then when we actually see inside their trunk, it's a duffel and some blankets <laughs> when they're supposed <laughs> yeah. to have like all this professional camera gear <laughs> and i will say I, th- I think derek might have been a little out of line and again it might explain why he is uh still a virgin but look hanging out at a lesbian bar talking about fucking trick ponies <laughs> honestly sounds like a blast so uh yeah. he doesn't know what he's missing out on <laughs> Yeah, he was so flabbergasted by that but i was like that kind of sounds funny as hell and yeah. awesome like do it What's yeah, wrong? that sounds yeah, like sound like a good time to a me. Fucking great hang, exactly. There's a, a part they do use a, a this one single dolly shot, I think, and it's like right before he says invasion. Yes. You know, it's like one really, really well done dolly really in good. for like an important dolly moment. Shot, yeah, yeah. And I was like, that's so weird that that would be the one second, and it must have just been like they had like a wheelchair on set, or and we're like, we got to make this work. <laughs> I don't know because it's out of nowhere, and it's actually makes it uh, an interesting moment. My my thought is they probably had a dolly the entire time and just never actually figured out how to use it until like the very <laughs> yeah, last was. day. And they were like, shit, now that we've got this together, we got to do something really good. And they get that one good fucking zoom in and it's an invasion and <laughs> zoom back out again. <laughs> when it happened, I, went, I was like, oh, this yeah. is a dolly. This is great. Yeah. Getting fucking fancy. Hell yeah. Cool. Well, uh, I got one more bit to talk about, but before we move on, do we have any other thoughts about about feeders about this movie specifically i think that some of the dialogue is really good even though it's not perfect like the line where he says god help us all and he goes god can't hear anyone tonight like that's yeah awesome pretty good you know yeah that was like, a good just like little things like that so uh i think john mcbride was a big part because he's very he's very funny and uh wood chipper massacre is a really funny one of these shot on video ones and cannibal yeah. camp out they're very very funny so i think he had a lot to do with some of the humor and the polonia brothers brought the bizarre nature to it speaking of bizarre like one of the more like gore effects also kind of like just random shots was like bloody teeth yeah <laughs> just kind of around i guess <laughs> the aliens just like spit them out after they were done launching yeah, on people amazing oh and i was gonna say one of my favorite lines is from the doppelganger it's like the alien talking through him we came here many light years away for the simple reason of survival for food humans taste so, so good yeah it's a great <laughs> line it's yeah, awesome. <laughs> I love the weird moment where they bring John up into the ship. They're probing him, doing the experiment on him. It switches to the weird inverted colors again, but it's these weird kind of coppery green colors that you can't place. Like, what are those the opposite colors to, you know? And you just see like him spitting out blood and just gurgling blood in his mouth. But it's this weird fucking coppery color. That is just such a fucking interesting, surreal, again, psychotronic kind of thing that, again, I could see like if I was kind of tripping balls a little bit, like that would be insane just looking at that and your brain (laughs) trying to make sense of it. Again, in the kind of the way that I was watching Boarding House earlier today, and it kept cutting to all these moments of rainbow video effects coming from hands and eyeballs and shit. And I was just like, what is this? What are they doing? <laughs> 
in this movie, they don't cut away from that moment for a long time in that, like, it's going on too long. Yeah. And then it comes back around to being bizarre again because it goes on for so <laughs> long. I don't know. It was just super fucking interesting. Cool. So the last thing I want to mention real quick. Like always, if I'm going to do this, I'm going to go fucking full blast. So I also watched Feeders 2, colon, I love it. Sleigh Bells from yes. 1998. Oh, it's a Christmas movie? One of my yes. favorite Christmas movies of all time. Yes, it is also on Tubi, and the poster is exactly the same. It is an alien head creeping up behind the horizon of the planet Earth. And literally the only thing that they did was add a two and then they fucking photoshopped a Santa hat on the alien. <laughs> <laughs> so John Polonia is the lead in feeders and Mark shows up as the evil twin, right? And this one, they flip it. So Mark is the lead. So he's married. He has kids. The first movie canonically happened. There is no explanation as to why this guy who looks exactly the same as the guy from the last movie is in this movie. The actress who played Michelle in the first movie, again, we're talking about the Peggy Hill vibes. She is his wife in this sequel and they have two kids and there is some fucking hilarious dialogue in that one. Santa's coming tonight. Good. Not yeah (laughs) or yay. They just scream good. This fucking awkward scene with him and his wife where she's like Alan, are you leaving work early? I'll try, but don't hold your breath. But today is Christmas Eve. Tell that to my boss. He doesn't care. It's just another day to him. What's on your agenda? Wrapping gifts and wrapping gifts and wrapping gifts. Sounds like fun. I'll call you later. Hey, what's Santa bringing me for Christmas? What do you get a woman who has everything? More. Just weird, goofy shit like that. But ultimately, fucking Santa Claus shows up in this movie and he gets attacked by the aliens. He fucking crashes. And then Santa Claus opens a can of fucking whoop ass on the aliens (laughs) with a laser gun that he has. And he was like, oh, I was waiting to introduce this shit to Christmas two years from now. I'm going to break it out now. And it's just fucking Santa Claus running around with a laser gun blasting all the aliens. That's fantastic. Yeah, it was fucking delightful. This one was definitely way, way, way more purposely silly than the first movie is. The first movie has a very knowing, winking, tongue-in-cheek kind of humor to it. This movie is just full-blown Looney Tunes. This one was oh, just yeah. purposely kind of ridiculous. So yeah, I, I really enjoyed Feeders 2, colon, Sleigh Bells. <laughs> Great timing that we're doing this, because guess what? Fucking Feeders 3, colon, yeah. The Final meal literally just came out like two months ago (laughs) i still haven't seen it yet it is on amazon i rented it this one goes meta because it is now a local film crew putting together an exploitation movie of the story from the first two movies as if those were real 
So it is about the Wellsboro 10. So it's about like all the victims that mysteriously died. And the assumption is that Derek, John McBride's character, is the one who actually killed all of them. And he is now in an insane asylum. And the aliens was all just this bullshit he made up. There is a fucking Men in Black style detective who has rolled into town and is investigating the whole thing. And there's just so many fucking moments of this goofy old guy guy in a three-piece black and white suit black tie with black sunglasses going around being mr detective dude but then it will cut to him in a hotel and he's in bed wearing just boxers with his gut hanging out eating and smoking on the bed but he's still wearing his sunglasses (laughs) (laughs) so there's just goofy shit like that and i don't know if this was a symptom of oh we filmed this during covid so we had to keep the crew small but mitchell cardone plays five characters in this movie (laughs) he plays Derek. so mcbride did not return and i love that on imdb it specifically said that this was an homage to peter sell playing multiple characters in Dr. Strangelove. And I was like, oh, hmm, okay. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Well, how many many years had passed between this one and two? 23? Yeah. 24? 23, yeah. (laughs) This one kind of has a little bit of a commentary on Hollywood not keeping the details the same or doing a remake where things are different. So, you know, in this exploitation version of the story from the first movie that they're recreating, they recast the Derek and What's-His-Face characters, and they are now gender-swapped. So it's two women who are playing the two guys from the first story. Because, again, everything's digital now. It didn't have that entire aesthetic. The entire SOV aesthetic is just gone because that doesn't exist anymore. But it was interesting that, okay, cool. No, y'all are still doing this for like zero of dollars because the inside of the alien spaceship was we shot these puppets against a bunch of record crates in a garage and then put a blue light on behind them. And that's the inside of the alien spaceship. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> so yeah, like if you're a fan of the series, definitely check out three. Again, it is available to rent on Amazon right now. So yeah, that is Feeders 3, The Final Meal. I knocked out the entire Feeders trilogy. So it was definitely a worthwhile ride. And uh I can honestly say that I will probably revisit two this Christmas. Hell yeah, me too. It was all of an hour and five minutes long. That will be a very good get some people together, get drunk, and uh watch this ridiculous movie so i very much enjoyed it oh please tell me you do it with your family oh we totally could. <laughs> you and heather watch like get drunk with your family totally could yeah this is the kind of movie that i think they would appreciate but yeah mark polonia is still alive and kicking and putting these movies out unfortunately john passed away back in uh february 2008 so r.i.p but uh yeah it's a wild ride this is such a fascinating genre yeah there's one that with a flying baby called the necrophiles it's a flying zombie baby i mean you can never get a flying zombie baby in any other genre other than shot on video, you know? Oh, yeah. (laughs) One thing that I kind of learned, everything I've read about the Polonia brothers specifically is that they are pretty well thought of in indie film circles because they are fucking massively enthusiastic and always have been, and they are willing to mentor and support young
young up and coming filmmakers. So apparently they're very generous with their time and energy. They seemed like pretty good guys all around from everything that I read and just other people talking about them. So that's always kind of good to hear that there's good heart behind all this. So cool. That's all I've really got. Do we have any other final thoughts on feeders or the SOV genre in general? I want to say I think you did a great job. I mean, uh, I didn't realize you were going to be so well-researched and learned in the whole thing. You That was an amazing thing that I just witnessed you do. That was great. The, all the research. Yeah. This was honestly kind of a fucking blast. Hell yeah. Jumping into this. So, like, honestly, I appreciate you coming up with the idea of wanting to do this. Yeah. Because this sent me down a very good rabbit hole that kind of got me excited and energized in a weird way. Because most, every time, whatever movie that we're doing i mean i don't think we have done a movie so far on this show that i not only have not seen but like i own a copy of it you know so this was the first one probably in the history of this show i've not actually fully seen so it it was a very very good rabbit hole for me to go down and now i've got half a dozen other movies that i want to check out as a result so not nah, good shit yeah there's this great article on bleeding skull which you mentioned earlier and uh it's the top 50 best shot on video films of all time. Yep. Look up that article and just go down the list and start to pick out the ones that we talked about or say, oh, this one looks good. Las Vegas bloodbath. Let's go. Seriously, it's such a great genre to get into because if you love surreal and you love bizarre, this is the place for you to be. I'm going to full blown be honest here. Like I have like a thousand tabs open right now. Just stuff like <laughs> I want to kind of check out and read about and yeah. movies I want to watch. So yeah, Bleeding Skull itself looks like a website I'm going to peruse yeah. now so and those two books you brought up earlier john uh i have them on my my wish list so i will definitely get around to buying them and reading them hell yeah john what you got coming up soon what have you got that you want to plug where can people find you uh, season five of the last drive-ins coming soon. Uh, we got a, we just announced the Halloween special for, uh, I believe it's 1021. So that's going to be really a killer. And then we have a bunch of specials before the new season and the new year. And you can find me on Twitter at bad techno or Instagram at bad techno, or you can go to badtechno.com, which has portals to all my old shit. Plus my Twitter and all that stuff. Watch trauma and Joe Bob. Yeah. Thank you guys for having me. And we also, uh, me and Yuki Nakamura, we're gonna have a patreon soon so that's uh coming so don't worry it's all on the way oh and and yeah send it our way and we'll throw it out there on our social oh hell too, yeah. So yeah thank you hell guys yeah. so much for having me thank you cool hell yeah we are watch if you dare a horror movie podcast hosted by me the coward and my co-host movie monster boy aaron you can find us pretty much at any podcatcher at this point we're on apple stitcher spotify pod chaser good pods etc please continue to rate and review us especially on apple pod chaser and good pods that's where we've actually been charting which is fucking amazing that this kind of diy project that aaron and i started is gotten any kind of recognition so thank you and please continue to support us there please follow us at our socials at watch if you dare on twitter and facebook check out our spotify music playlist that's pinned at the top of our twitter and facebook for uh some spooky tunes stuff that is inspired and from horror movies and just genuinely creepy stuff in general like the butthole surfers for instance get some good music 
music that way. And then speaking of music, shout outs to your little brother, Jesse Mansfield, aka Party Gator on Bandcamp. He does the bumps at the beginning and end of each episode. You can also find more of his stuff uh, with Opossums and Big Clown. A lot of it is now available to purchase. I think some of it is on Apple Music too. Yep. So go check out all his music projects. There's He dabbles in everything. So there's got to be something out there for you. And I think that's it. What have you got, Aaron? Nothing much. Obviously, this is our last episode before we get into our usual season of Spoop. So that is coming up soon. And we've got a fun theme for y'all there. But yeah, continue listening. Check out John's stuff. Check out some SOV shit. This was a fun time and definitely a lot of fun titles to check out. So that is all I've got. Derek, what are you? Derek? Derek, is that you? We came here from many light years away for the simple reason of survival. Sally's taste so good.